Thank you for joining us. Remember, you can watch our services live and view our archive at StevensCreekChurch.com, the Stevens Creek app, or on our Roku channel. And if our ministries have touched your life, we'd love to hear about it. Send us an email to mystory@stevenscreekchurch.com. We hope today's message encourages and inspires you. Enjoy the message. Well, good morning and welcome to Stevens Creek Church. How's everybody doing? Come on, I know it's a little later in the day. Who's excited to be here on Labor Day weekend? It's, it's gonna be a great Sunday. And because it is a holiday weekend, I thought it would be important important to address something real quick. I know some of you may be thinking, wow, Pastor Dave, or as he's known around the creek, Holiday is looking so much younger and better looking since he got back from Texas, where I just want to put that to rest real quick. I'm not Pastor Dave. I'm actually Pastor Branton, and I'm the campus pastor at our South Augusta campus. So can we just take a moment to celebrate that all God is doing at our South Augusta campus together? And God's doing some incredible things there, and we're just so excited to be a part of that second harvest that's come into the South Augusta community. We truly are one church in two locations, and I love that about Stevens Creek Church, but there are also people who are watching with us online right now, wherever you are. I just wanna say welcome to the creek. So can, again, can we pause a moment and welcome everybody who's watching with us <laughs> online? Last week, Pastor Mo did a fantastic job talking about how we can live in the hope that is found in Jesus. Well, this week, I wanna talk a little bit about something that's difficult, and I say difficult because it's difficult for me, and it's those waiting seasons. And so if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn with me to John chapter 11. We're gonna be starting with verse one. And if you texted the word notes to that number that Dylan just talked about, of course, you have it on your phone. You can follow along and read with me. It starts off by saying, a man named Lazarus was sick. He lived in Bethany with his sisters, Mary and Martha. This is the Mary who later poured the expensive perfume on the Lord's feet and wiped them with her hair. Her brother, Lazarus, was sick. So the two sisters sent a message to Jesus telling him, Lord, your dear friend is sick. Now I love the intimacy of this portion of our text because it just speaks to how close these siblings were to Jesus that Mary and Martha thought it was okay just to send a message to Jesus and say, listen, your dear friend is sick. One translation says that Mary and Martha sent a message and said, the one that you love is sick. So it really speaks to how close Mary and Martha were to Jesus. In verse four, it says, though when Jesus heard about it, he said, Lazarus's sickness will not end in death. No, it happened for the glory of God so that the son of God would receive glory from this. So although Jesus loved Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, he stayed where he was for the next two days. Now we're gonna jump real quickly down to verse 17. And it says, when Jesus arrived at Bethany, he was told that Lazarus had been in the grave for four days. Now, Bethany was only a few miles down the road from Jerusalem, and many of the people had come to console Martha and Mary in their loss. But when Martha got word that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him, but Mary stayed in the house, and Martha said, Gee, Lord, if you would have just been here, my brother would not have died. That sounds a lot like me when I Thank God missed the boat on something. I, I tell him, listen, God, this isn't my fault. 
I told you to come a long time ago. If, if you would have come when I asked you, if you would have answered my prayer when I wanted you to, I wouldn't be in the situation I find myself. And essentially, Martha was saying the same thing. Jesus, if you would have just come when I called on you, if you would have came when I expected you, we wouldn't be in the situation that we find ourselves in now. If you would have come, my brother would not have died. In verse 22, it continues and says, but even now, I know that God will give you whatever you ask. And Jesus told her, your brother will rise again. Yes, Martha said, he will rise when everyone else rises at the last day. And Jesus told her, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. And everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never, ever die. And now, in verse 39, Jesus is standing at the tomb surrounded by uh, mourners and Mary and Martha in the scene of their disappointment. And here's what Jesus did. He said, roll the stone aside, Jesus told them. But Martha, the dead man's sister, protested, Lord, he has been dead for four days. The smell will be terrible. Jesus responded, didn't I tell you that you would see God's glory if you believe? So they rolled the stone aside. Then Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, thank you for hearing me. You always hear me, but I said it out loud for the sake of all of these people standing here so that they too will believe you sent me. And then Jesus shouted, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out. Can we take a moment to pray together? God, I just thank you so much for this moment that you've orchestrated. God, I pray that we would open up our ears to hear, our hearts to receive, and our minds to listen to your wisdom. God, use us today and speak to us. And it's in your name we pray, amen. Now, it's no secret that this year has been a little hectic, right? 2020 has been a wild one so far, and I keep waiting on God to do something about it. The problem is that I'm really bad at waiting. In fact, I hate waiting on so many things. I'm gonna share a few. The first one that I hate waiting on is, I hate waiting on surprises. Now, this isn't a bad hate. It's more of an anxious hate that every time there's a season where I'm gonna get a gift, which my birthday is this month, so shout out to my wife, just putting that plug in there. Every time I know I'm gonna get a gift, I turn into Sherlock Holmes. Listen, I scour, I scour the house. I turn over the tables. I've searched literally every single spot that I found a gift already this month, and it wasn't there, so I don't know where you've hit it this time. But I just hate waiting on surprises. I hate waiting on lights to turn green. Now, I'm not naturally a patient person, so I know God is teaching me something in these moments, but every time I have to go somewhere, and especially if there's a time frame uh, attached to it, I get stopped by every single red light in Augusta. And I'm not exaggerating. I mean, it seems like every single light turns red as soon as I get there. Sometimes they play with me and it, it, it's turning green and I think I got it. And then it goes straight to red. It's like God is teaching me something. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's patience. But the, the next thing I hate waiting on, and maybe it's the thing I hate waiting on the most, it's traffic. I just, it doesn't make sense to me. I don't understand it. And I live in Rome, Georgia, so we have to travel through Atlanta every time I go home. And if you know anything about the big ATL, you know it is miserable for anyone who doesn't like traffic. In fact, it's gotten so bad that my wife insists emphatically that I pull over so that she can drive through the traffic instead of listening to me complain about how there are four and five lanes to travel in, and yet we're still at a standstill. It just, it doesn't make sense to me. And maybe... Maybe you find yourself in a waiting season where you know God can do something, 
You believe him for it, you trust him for it, except for he hasn't done anything about it. Maybe you end up asking this question in one version or another, God, why aren't you doing something about it? God, why are you making me wait? Maybe you're waiting on that financial situation to get better and it's just not. You're waiting for a job and you're praying for it, you're believing for it and you're ready but it just doesn't seem like it's there. Maybe you're praying for God to heal a relationship in your life and you're praying for it and you're believing for it and with all the extra strains that 2020 has to offer, I'm sure that our relationships are are being hit even harder and you're, you're just wanting God to put the broken pieces back together but he's not and you find yourself waiting. Maybe you're waiting for that house to sell or you're waiting for your child to come back to faith. Maybe you're waiting for a healing to your physical body because the doctor's giving you a bad report and you know he can, you're believing God for it, you're expecting it and yet you find yourself waiting and you're asking God, why aren't you doing something about it? Well, if you find yourself in this waiting season, I wanna share with you a key thought this morning. And it's this, that with God, a waiting season is never a wasted season. That with God, even in our waiting, we are not wasting time. And if you didn't grow up hearing the Bible stories, then you may not know that Mary and Martha and Lazarus were extremely close to Jesus. In fact, in Luke's gospel, right before we get to John's gospel, the one we just read, the story that we just read, there's a story of how Jesus came to their house and Martha served Jesus and Mary sat at his feet and just took in his teaching and he ate their homemade meal. Essentially, Jesus was in their small group. If you hadn't been a part of a small group, I encourage you to do so. We just launched our fall semester, so this is the perfect time to do just that. But if you have been a part of a small group, then you know that life change happens in the context of small groups. And so you build relations, you build uh, connections with other people, you make friendships. And so Martha and Mary and Jesus was no exception. They built a connection, they became friends. And so when Mary and Martha sent word to Jesus that the one you love or your dear friend is sick, they fully and completely expected Jesus to do for Lazarus what he was doing for strangers. Because you see, Jesus had already healed the blind, he had already touched the leopard, he had already made a way for the lame person to walk, so surely Jesus is gonna come and touch Lazarus, except for he didn't show up. And maybe the first day went by and Martha and Mary made excuses and said, well, it's okay, I'm not gonna panic. It takes at least a day's journey for the message to reach Jesus. He's still coming, I still believe that he's gonna come. And then another day passes, and maybe another day and another evening, and Jesus still hasn't shown up, and maybe they start doing what I have found myself doing in these situations, and maybe I'm not alone. Maybe you've done it too, but we start bartering with God. We start telling him everything that we've done for him so he should do this for us. God, I've given up a career so I could follow this calling. God, every time the church doors are open, I'm sitting and I'm learning. I'm, I'm pouring myself into you. God, I serve in the kids' department. Have you ever been in the kids' department? And we start bartering with God as if our relationship with him is just an exchange of services. If I do this for you, God, then surely you should do this for me, but that's not how it works. And maybe you find yourself waiting right now. You're believing for something and it hasn't happened. 
I wanna pull three points from our text today that I really think that will help us and encourage us as we navigate what it means to be in a waiting season. And the first one is I want you to remember that God's delays are not necessarily God's denials. In other words, just because God hasn't done it yet doesn't mean he's not gonna do it. Just because he hasn't answered your prayer yet doesn't mean he's not gonna answer it. In fact, in verse four, we see that when Jesus heard about Lazarus, he said that Lazarus' sickness will not end in death. And then he said something so abstruse that it, it created this new concept of thinking, and he said, no, this is gonna happen so that the Son of God may be glorified through this. In other words, what he was saying is, I know what's happening, and I'm still in control. In fact, when you get to the end of the story, not only are you gonna see that there was purpose in the waiting, but you're gonna see me glorified through the season. Jesus said, I will be glorified through the very thing that you never wanted to happen, the very thing that you're waiting on. And I heard somebody say this one time, and I thought it applied perfectly to what we were talking about today. I would say that this is a perfect example of what I call a divine delay. It's a God-orchestrated delay. It means God may do what you want, but he's not gonna do it in the time frame you want because he wants to teach you something first. And in these divine delays, in these moments, I have found that God has taught me the most about myself and about his will for my life, which brings me to understand this, that God often wants to do something in you before he does something for you. God wants to do something in you. He wants to teach you something in the waiting. It's kind of like what we do for our kids. I'm a new dad. My, my daughter's just one years old. And there's things that she wants, but I'll, I don't want to give it to her right away. I want to teach her something in the waiting. God wants to bless you, but he wants to teach you something. He wants to do something in you before he does something for you. Philippians 2.13 says it perfectly. It says, for God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. In those waiting seasons of my life, I have found that to be true, that God is working in me, giving me the desire and the power to do what pleases him. In those waiting seasons, he's taught me to have patience, which, like I said, isn't something that comes naturally to me. In the waiting seasons, he has taught me to rely on him, to trust in him, to draw near to him and to call on him. In those waiting seasons, he's taught me, 2 Corinthians 5, to to live by faith and not by sight, that even though I haven't gotten it yet, doesn't mean it's not gonna happen and I can push towards the future knowing that God is still in control of my life. He's taught me Psalms 28 that no matter what season I find myself in, no matter how much waiting I'm in, that God is my strength and my shield. Second Corinthians 12, that in my weakness, his power is made perfect in me. God often wants to do something in you before he does something for you. Now the good news is, is that we have God's Bible to tell us all about God's wisdom in these divine delays. But Mary and Martha, all they knew is that their friend Jesus didn't show up, that he had the chance and he never came. And to top it all off, Jesus he finally shows up except for it seems that his timing is a little off because now Lazarus had not been dead one day or two days, but he has been dead for four days. By this time, the body smelled. And at this moment, 
There seemed like there was no hope for the miracle that Martha and Mary had once expected from Jesus. Which brings me to the second thing I want you to remember in your waiting season, that if God always met your expectations, he would never have the opportunity to exceed them. If God always gave you what you asked for now, he'd never have the opportunity to give you something better. In verse 21, Martha met Jesus and said, Lord, if you would have been here, my brother wouldn't have died. I mean, she's human, so she's a little hurt. I imagine she's a little ticked off and confused because Jesus had the ability to meet her expectations. And now she's standing face to face with Jesus, the one who she expected to meet her expectations. But not only did he fail at doing that, he didn't even show up to help bury his friend. And still after all of this, Martha said, but even now I know that God will give you whatever you ask. And I love the authenticity of this portion of our text because quite often, if we're honest, this is where I live a lot of the time. God, I don't understand why I'm having to wait. I don't understand why I'm in this season. God, I'm asking for this. I'm praying for this. God, I know and fully believe that you can do this. But even through the confusion, even through the waiting, even through the questions, God, I still trust you. And maybe that's where you're living at right now. You're praying for a financial situation, but your finances seem to get worse month to month. You're fighting for your marriage, but the harder your fight, the more disconnected your spouse seems to get. And you don't understand, you're, you're believing that he can, you're asking for it, you're praying for it, and yet he's not doing anything. But even through all of that, through all the chaos, you still trust that he has the ability to do what you're asking for. The thing to account for here with Mary and Martha is that they fully trusted could do, God could do what they asked, it, asked him for. They fully believed that Jesus had the ability to meet their expectations. They knew that God could do exactly what they needed him to do. What they didn't trust was his timing to do it. Because you see, the thing about faith is not just trusting that God can, but trusting God's win. And this was the test for Mary and Martha. Jesus says to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha's a little confused. And she says, yeah, I know he's gonna rise again in the, the last days, but Jesus meant something else. Jesus said, no, you don't understand, Martha. There's purpose in your waiting. There's a reason why you're going through this season. I'm gonna be glorified through this. I am the resurrection and the life. It wasn't that Martha didn't trust that he was able to do what she was asking us. She didn't trust his timing to do it. And maybe for you this morning, you truly trust that God is able to do what you're asking, but do you trust his timing? For example, maybe you trust someone's intention, but don't trust their timing. It's like for me and, and my wife, I trust my wife, my beautiful wife, I need to make sure I explain that before I go any further. I trust my beautiful wife with everything that is within me. I trust her with my life. I trust her so much that I would put her, her in a room full of tall, handsome men and I know she would be faithful to our vows. I trust her so much if she thinks I'm not gonna like something, you better bet I'm not gonna like it because she knows me better than I know myself. I trust her with everything but time because if she says it's gonna be 30 minutes, it's gonna be at least another hour. 
If she tells me to hold on just a little while longer, guess what I'm doing? I'm putting some popcorn in the microwave and I'm putting on a movie because I'm gonna get something done while I'm waiting on her. She's taught me in the five years of marriage this new concept of time. One is correct and the other one a little delusional and I'll let you figure out which is which. But maybe that's how you are with God. You completely trust his intentions. You trust that he can do what you're asking. You trust that he died on a cross for you. But let him not answer you in the timing in which you want him to and in the way that you're asking him to. And just maybe you start pushing away and saying, wait a minute, God, you're not listening to what I'm saying. Maybe you're not hearing what I'm asking. Maybe we have a bad connection. If God always met your expectations, he'd never have the opportunity to exceed them. God is saying the real test is do you trust me with my timing? Because it is in the waiting that maturity is developed. You see, what Martha and Mary wanted was a healing. What they expected was a healing. They asked for a healing, but what Jesus gave them was a resurrection. What they wanted was good, but what God had for them was better. What they wanted was something logical and tangible, but what Jesus gave them was an example of the greatest supernatural phenomenon the world has ever known, and that is the resurrection. This morning, maybe you're watching online, or maybe you're here at our Augusta campus, and you're believing for something, you're praying for something, you're trusting for something, but if God gave you the something that you're asking for now, he could never exceed your expectations. And you may be saying, wait a minute, but that doesn't make sense. That doesn't make me happy. This is what I need right now. This is what I'm expecting right now. This is what I'm asking for. God, I need this in my life and I need it now. And I'm disappointed that I'm waiting. And for those who are saying that, I would say this, and it's the third point that I want you to remember, that in the scene of your greatest disappointment, can become the setting of God's greatest miracle. See, Jesus is now at the tomb surrounded by disappointment. Surrounded by the mourners who are disappointed that Jesus didn't heal Lazarus. Surrounded by Mary and Martha who are disappointed that their brother had died who is now buried for four days. Jesus was surrounded by all this disappointment, and yet he stood at this tomb and he shouted, Lazarus, come out. And guess what happened? A miracle took place. The dead man came out. Jesus stood at this tomb where a man that he loved had been dead for four days. And I love how God orchestrates everything. Because there's something significant about the number four because in first century, they believed that the first three days, the body kind of, or the spirit kind of hovered over the body and maybe, just maybe, it would connect back with the body and life would return. But at four days, there is no hope. And I love how Jesus waited for four days and in verse 17, there is no hope. Mary and Martha once expected their brother to keep living, but now he, it's written in stone. There's no coming back from this. There is no hope until, until verse 43. 
until Jesus stepped foot in the scene of their disappointment and looked at the grave their brother was in and said, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out. I love how hope was restored with just a command of Jesus. You see, there was purpose in the waiting. Mary and Martha may have seen it as disappointment, but in the scene of their greatest disappointment, God did the greatest miracle they have ever seen before. And the scene of your greatest disappointment can become the miracle that you've been waiting for. With God, a waiting season is never a wasted season. In fact, I've been in my own waiting season. The past 16 years, I've been in a waiting season. For the past 16 years, I've said the same prayer and called out the same name, my dad. For 16 years, I prayed that he would come back and know the Lord because you see, he used to have a relationship with God. He knows what it means to have the Lord in his life. He used to teach about it. But now he's found himself in a season where he can't forgive himself, where he thinks grace is too far gone for him and that God's arms can't extend to where he's at. And so for 16 years, I've said the same prayer and I've been in the same waiting season. I've had the same conversation. Every chance I had, I told him, listen, dad, it's your moment. This is your time. You need to get right. And then I waited for 16 years. In fact, in August the 15th of this year, See, a day I'll never forget. I stood on this stage in this spot because it was our 21 days of prayer and I had the opportunity to lead the devotion that morning. And like I've done so many other times, I stood here and I encouraged everyone in our corporate prayer to call out a lost loved one, to call their name out. And I stood on this stage and I said, Lord, touch Mike. God, touch my dad. Like I've done so many other times before. How many know with God, a waiting season is never a wasted season? You see, my daughter just turned one last Saturday and my dad stayed a little longer and Monday rolled around and we had a conversation that we've had many of times. And I looked at him, I said, Dad, this is your moment. This is your time. And the same conversation took place and he said, but I, I don't think grace is for me. I think I've gone too far. I can't be forgiven. And I'm like, Dad, you can't earn grace. You know this is for you. God wants you. God wants you. But unlike the last 16 years or over 5,400 prayers I've prayed for him, unlike all of those moments, my dad asked me, if I would pray with him. He asked me if I would pray that prayer of salvation and that he would accept Christ back into his life. You see, the waiting season wasn't wasted. I fully believe that there was a reason why it took 16 years for this moment to happen. I think that it was God ordained and that it was God glorifying because there are parents that are sitting in here right now, you're watching online and you've been praying for your child. You've been calling their name out like you've done many other times before. 
and you're waiting and you're waiting and you don't know if you have much left in you. I think it happened 16 years later so I could remind you to keep on praying. I think it happened for you siblings and you children who have been praying for your parents and you're waiting and you're asking God for restitution and it hasn't happened. I'm saying keep on believing for you married people who are praying for reconciliation in your marriage and you're praying for your spouse and maybe you found yourself laying your hands on your spouse at night as they prayed and asking God to touch them and it seems like nothing's happening. I'm here to tell you that with God, a wasted or waiting season is not a wasted season. Keep on doing it. Keep on praying, keep on believing because God is working in it even when you don't see it, even when you don't feel it, God is working in you. But I think there's something else to it. I think that God waited 16 years so I could stand here and tell somebody who's watching that feels just like my dad did. You feel like, like you've gone too far like grace isn't for you, that you've done too much to, to receive mercy, that God can't extend himself to you. I'm here to tell you that this moment is for you, that this moment was destined for you, that the 16 years of waiting that I found myself in was so that I could be here today to tell you that God wants you, that God loves you, that he has a purpose for you. So here's what I would like to do. I would like to say two prayers. And the first prayer is for you parents who are tired. It's for you children who are confused. It's for you married couples who are lost. It's for you broken people who are praying and waiting and waiting. God is doing something in your life. Trust his timing. And then I wanna say a prayer for those of you who find yourself in the same situation my dad is in and you don't feel like grace is for you. God wants you and he's freely extending himself. That's what grace is, is freely extending himself to where you are. So let's pray together. God, I just, I pray for the parents. And if you're a parent right now, just. If you feel comfortable, reach out your hands to receive what God has for you right now. God, I pray that you would encourage them. I pray that you would bless them. I pray that you would help them in this season of waiting, God. I pray that they would trust your timing. God, I pray that you would give them peace and understanding, God. I pray that you would do something in them before you do something for them, God. Teach them what you want for them in this season, God. Pray for these parents, God. I pray for the married couple, God, that's fighting for their marriage and they're praying and they're believing, but it just doesn't seem like it's getting any better. God, I pray reconciliation over them. I pray that you would bless them where they are, God. I pray that you would move in their lives. I pray that, God, you would begin a process in them, Lord Jesus. Teach them something in this waiting season. And I pray for everyone who's tired and weary because they're in a season of waiting. God, let them know that even in the waiting, they're not wasting time because God, with you, a waiting season is never a wasted season. And now God, I wanna pray for all of those who don't know you. God, I pray that 
they would come to know you as their Lord. God, that they would open their hearts to receive what you have for them, that they would open their spirits to you, God. Let them understand that they're not too far gone. Help them to understand, God, that you love them and that this moment was designed with them in mind, God. And if that's you today, just open up your hands if you're comfortable and repeat after me. And and it's not the words you say, but it's what you feel in your heart. It's the belief that you have when you say it. God, I accept you. God, I believe in you. I trust in you, God. Forgive me of my sins. Forgive me of my wrongdoings. God, set me on the path of righteousness. God, touch me, turn me, move me, direct me, guide me, God. And now, God, corporately, I just pray that we would receive from you, God, something special. God, I pray that we would know and understand, God, that even though we don't see it, you're working, God, even though we don't feel it, you're working, God, that you are the way maker, you are the miracle worker, you are the promise keeper, God, I pray that you would just pour your spirit on us and that we would come to the understanding, God, that you are our way maker, that when we don't feel it, You are working, God, and it's in your precious, holy name that we pray, amen and amen. Thanks for listening. If you would like to help support the ministries of Stevens Creek Church, please go to stevenscreekchurch.com and click the Give button. See you next time.